Welcome to the Journey Church Houston podcast. The Journey is a church plant in Houston, Texas, inviting people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. Whether you are a skeptic, a spiritual seeker, or a committed follower of Jesus Christ, we pray this podcast engages your heart and your mind with the truth claims of Christianity, why it is believable, and how it makes sense of our lives and the world. And we hope you are inspired to take your next step in your spiritual journey. In this episode, I, Mace, continued our series of lessons on the journey's core values. In this lesson, we discuss our thoughtful value. We want and we need to be Christians who know what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense of our world today. Because not only will our own faith be strengthened, but then we will be equipped to invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. So let's take a listen as I teach on the journey's thoughtful value. All right. Well, it's good to be back with y'all. Last week, we started in on a series where we're talking about our values as a church. Our first value was about being a biblical church. We talked about the biblical story um, and why we believe the Bible is important in our action step was if you don't already have a a daily habit of of reading the Bible, that was our encouragement. Just start reading it. That is the most important thing you can do is just get into it. We we had a a reading plan that we suggested that if you started this past week and you read five days a week, one chapter a day, you could get through the Gospel of Luke, you could get to Acts, you can get through Romans. Now, I know several people weren't able to be here last week, and that's totally fine. Uh, the QR code to the reading plan is on your handout, I, I believe. So, um, And hopefully the idea of doing it five days a week is you have a little bit of, of flex space. Um, but for those of you especially that were able to um, start getting into the Bible, starting to, to strengthen that habit of Bible reading, just would love to start with a discussion about how that, that went. How did your Bible reading go? We talked last week about trying to find a time, a place, and a plan. You know, how did that go? Well, I tried this time and I realized that didn't work. So I did this thing over here. I tried this place and that wound up being too distracting. So I did this over over here. And um, for those of you that were able to start reading in the Gospel of Luke, is is there anything that particular that has stuck out to you so far from your reading? Well, uh, while she's pulling that up, I'll go ahead and share just a couple things. Um, from me, so I've been, I tried to do the reading plan, um, but I've also already had kind of this other reading that I was working on. And so several days this week, I, I did what I had been doing. And then like later in the morning, I'd be like, oh no, I didn't read, you know, the, the chapter of, of Luke yet. And I, I, you know, I really want to, not like I feel like I have to, but I want to. And so I actually took one of the suggestions that I suggested to you all last week was, um, there were several days this week that I wound up listening to the chapter from Luke, uh, whether it was uh, on my drive or while I was at, at the gym. So I actually listened to Luke more than I physically read it this week. So that was that was one. Um, the other thing that I tried to do, again, to apply what we talked about last week was we talked about um, the, the major points in a story, how stories start with a setting and then there's a conflict, and then there's the rising action leading to a climax and resolution. And so I found myself, as I was reading Luke this week, just regularly asking myself, like, okay, where are we in the story? And at least from what I could tell, uh, Luke chapters 1 through 3 seem to be the setting. 
um, especially introducing us to this main character of Jesus, who he is. You have things like the birth announcement, the angels appearing to the shepherds. You have the John the Baptist testimony. At Jesus' baptism, you have the voice of heaven uh, coming down and, and declaring who Jesus is. And then chapter 3 ends with the genealogy of Jesus. So chapters 1 through 3 seem to be setting up the, the story. And then Luke 4, to me, seems to introduce the conflict that you have the antagonist, the devil, appear, and he's opposing Jesus. And uh, one thing I thought was interesting in Luke 4, 13, that scene of Jesus' temptation ends with the devil failing and him leaving. And he says, until an opportune time. And so that line seemed to be foreshadowing what's going to come later on in the story. So it appears to me that after that, we kind of start the rising action of the story. So those were some things I picked up on as I was reading this week. Were you able to find your yeah, verse? I finally found it. I, I knew where it was. So it was interesting. In Luke 2, um, Simeon is blessing Jesus and says to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And I was reading that and I was like, what's the thoughts of their hearts revealed? And I thought, how many times does Jesus come in contact with the Pharisees and he knows the thoughts mm. that are in their hearts without them saying anything? And he's like, I know what you're thinking. Why are you thinking that? Well, then, sure enough, fast forward, Jesus is um, healed the man, or sorry, let me find it. Here we go. Um, the paralyzed man. And the friends lower down the man, and Jesus says, um, you know, the Pharisees are thinking these things. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus said, he knew, he knew what they were thinking and said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great example. So a couple things I love about that, you know, again, last week, the whole point was that the Bible reveals the Christian story and it has many of the hallmarks. I would say all the hallmarks that we talk about with stories. And so, you know, all of our great, great movies, like, of course, the classic in my mind is like the sixth sense, right? Where, you know, you have this great reveal at the end and then you go back and rewatch it again. And you're able to kind of connect some of the, the threads, right? Well, the same is true with, with the Bible, that we notice these threads. The author intentionally puts everything that he puts in there, everything he puts in his story, everything that he wants you to know. Oftentimes, our curiosities will ask questions that the story doesn't answer. And that's apparently because Luke and the Holy Spirit through Luke didn't feel like we needed to know that for that particular story. But every, you know, some of these like, you know, and that wasn't necessarily a throwaway line, what Simeon was talking about. But sometimes these throwaway lines, you know, pay attention to those, right? Because you're going to notice these themes that trace their way through. And then the second thing that I really appreciate about that answer is that it shows, you know, um, you know, I'm sure you've read through, you know, Luke a handful of times by this point um, in your life. But yet here's something that you never caught before, right? So just that's just why my main encouragement to us last week was just read it, right? Um, we don't have to make it overly complicated. Is it important? You know, are there ways to go deeper in our study over time? Absolutely. But so much good would happen if we would just read it and read it and read it and keep reading. So I love that. Any other thoughts? Anyone?
wants to share? It is a piece of literature. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, it's not a reference book, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. No, exactly right. It's a piece of literature. It's a God-inspired piece of literature, but it is a, a piece of literature. And, um, you know, hopefully one of the things that we come to appreciate about the Bible is that. Well, to turn the corner, introduce our, to introduce our topic for today, uh, I want to ask you a question that maybe you've never thought of before. And that is, why are you a Christian? Not how you became a Christian. You know, you, when you first hear that question, you might think, well, I went to this camp and I heard this thing, you know, the speaker talk. You know, I was at FCA because it was just free pizza. And then this, you know, young guy came and shared his story. <laughs> um, but why are you a Christian? And again, if that's kind of a weird question, you've never really thought about that, that's, that's okay. But uh, if nothing else, hopefully this question is just getting your mind going. But please. Um, Feel free to share. Okay, so in all honesty, when, when I first became a follower of thirteen, it was so that I could avoid hell. Like, why are you a Christian? So that I don't go to hell? Like, yeah. duh. Like, I don't want to go. Um, but as I, my you know, journey with the Lord continued, it definitely became so much more than just avoiding something bad so that I could have something good. Um, just, yeah, why, I, you know, um, the Lord saved me. I looked at my life. I surrendered to Him. I mean, I, I don't know. I've never thought about, like, why are you a Christian? Um, but just seeing how it's so much more than what it used to be. You know, sometimes that motivation gets a, a bad rap. I mean, it's a legit motivation. There are, you know, verses in the Bible that are have warnings, right? So heeding those warnings is a good and, and wise thing. But love that, you know, you said that your faith is you know, continue to mature, and you're like, that reason still holds true, but now there's there's all these other reasons. Um, and there's kind of an implicit reason that you, you sh even though you didn't use these words, uh, you said you wanted to avoid hell. Well, that means that when you heard the message, you believed it to be true. That, you know, that bad consequence that you wanted to avoid, you believed was a real consequence, and that there was a real and true way to be saved from that. Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly right. Um, we're going to touch on that um, today for sure. This idea that the Christian story, the Christian worldview, not only makes sense, but makes the most sense of the world around us and the things we experience in life. You had your hand up as well. Notice that in all the like darkest times of my life, times that feel the most desolate or with political depression, where you can't feel anything, not even the bad things. In all of those moments, the only constant has been that I can still feel God. I can mm -hmm. still feel presence, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how numb I get always there and that's been a constant reaffirmation of 
this this is why because yeah. I feel that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you for being willing to, to share that. That's that's beautiful, right? I, that it offers hope. Um, it offers um, strength, right, to help us get through the, the hard things in life. That's that's great. Um, for me, um, I'm, I'll share more of my story. I'm sure over over the coming weeks. But um, for me, I was I was a skeptic, and so I thought um, Christians, it was all blind faith that. The, I, the questions that I asked, you know, that caused me to reject Christianity, I thought Christians believed because they just didn't ask those questions or they ignored those questions. Well, I came to find out that there are really intelligent Christians who have thought through answers to those hard, deep, philosophical questions of life. Um, for me, similar to what some of y'all shared, the gospel resonated with my personal lived experience that on the one hand of striving and striving but never feeling like it was enough but on the other hand um experiencing guilt shame and regret that i didn't know what to deal with uh and then finally came to believe in the historical reality of cer certain core facts um and that the most plausible explanation for those facts particularly surrounding the life death and resurrection of jesus um that is the is the most plausible explanation was that there are true and that all the alternate theories that you have to come up with to try to explain this or that, how we came up with this belief um, is far more far-fetched than actually just believing that what the Bible says is actually true. So that's a little bit about why I'm a Christian. Um, so, so far as we've been meeting together, we've been talking about our mission. So Stephen, a couple of weeks ago taught us about our mission. Um, so can anyone remember our mission statement, or at least bits and pieces of it. I would imagine Stephen and I are probably the only ones at this point that have it fully memorized. Um, so I'd be totally shocked, uh, in a good way, but shocked if, if someone else could you know, perfectly articulate it. But maybe you just remember maybe a word, or I think it's something about this. What do you all remember about our mission as a church? So we definitely want to be biblical. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be Christ-centered. Those are all really good things. Yeah. I, I, I think I have it memorized. Okay. <laughs> but I keep pointing with what she said. What she said. Something like invite people or others. I remember on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian Very, very good. Yeah. Yeah. I've only said it a, a, a thousand times. And as she says that, you probably are like, oh, yeah, you know. I remember that now. I remember that that phraseology. So our mission as a church is to invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And so Stephen taught us a, a couple weeks ago about how so many people are increasingly living based on a secular story um, that is not true, is not ultimately good, is not ultimately beautiful. Um, and so we get the opportunity to invite people on a journey to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story. And now we're in part two where we're talking about our core values as a church. And so remember, our mission defines what we do. Our core values define who we are. Um, and we have four core values. Y'all named two of them, biblical, thoughtful, relational, missional, and absolutely, we do want to be Christ-centered as well. That's implicit in several of these um, values. So last week, we discussed our biblical value as we've talked about how the Bible is the word of God that reveals the Christian story. We want to be a church that is immersed in the story of the Bible as our ultimate authority. 
Um, and it's God's revelation that forms our beliefs of what is true, good, and beautiful. And now today we're going to discuss our thoughtful value. And so I want to start, um, similar to what we did last week, I want to start by looking at a couple key Bible passages. So the first one we're going to look at is Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. Um, this is Jesus' response when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Um, can I get a volunteer to read that verse or those verses for us, either off of your handout? I think it's on your handout or off the screen. Ramsey? Very good. Thank you. So Jesus is quoting here from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is God's words through Moses to the Israelites as they're about to enter the promised land. And this passage is a really famous passage in the Old Testament. It's known as the Shema, which is the first word in Hebrew. And it's the core summary of the Israelite faith. In fact, it was so central to the life and faith of the Israelites that they recited this passage twice daily. Uh, it'd be similar to how some Christian traditions today will uh, uh, recite one of the ancient creeds, like the Apostles' Creeds during their, their Sunday services. It was a way of reminding them who they were and what they professed to believe. What I would like for us to focus on this evening as we look at these verses is that we are to love the Lord our God with all our minds. And so a question for us to discuss is, as you think about that, what does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your mind? Um, what are some ways that we can do that? What would that look like lived out? I think it's kind of the, when I think about that, that it's kind of the actions that you do throughout even your daily life. It's just being mindful of one in a way that is just Christ. Yeah, that's absolutely right. That we can do things that are good things, but not really thoughtfully, right? That that we want to have an awareness of that everything that we're doing is hopefully, ultimately, expressing love to God and others. That's good. I, I think that Paul, uh, what Paul said in Romans 12, 1 to 2, actually comes under the Lord's mind. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, you know, again, it all goes back to hopefully you're already seeing the interconnectedness of these values and our mission. It goes back to what what Stephen said, that we want to be formed by the, the biblical story. We want to know the biblical story. We want to believe the biblical story. We want that to shape the way that we are thinking and living out our, our lives. It's good. Maybe one more. Any other thoughts? Out there? Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, 
you know, so Ramsey kind of talked about kind of the, the positive side, right? Conforming our minds to the biblical story. Uh, that means, you know, rejecting some of these false stories and, and, you know, catchphrases that we hear in our day, right? And then saying, like, hearing this and, and realizing, wait, that's not right. I need to do this over here because it conforms with what we understand to be biblical truth. That's, that's all really good stuff. Um, so we want to be a, a church that loves the Lord our God with all of our mind. And the next passage that I want to look at is um, from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. So the, the context of this verse, uh, the Apostle Peter is writing to a group of Christians that are, are surrounded by non-believers. The way we might say it around here is that they're surrounded by people living based on false stories. And as a, a result, these believers were being persecuted for their faith. They were suffering, and, and no doubt the natural response to this pain and suffering and persecution they were experiencing would be fear. Fear, particularly of those who would do them harm. And so Peter's saying, hey, instead of fearing these people, do this. And so um, let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Can I get another volunteer that would be willing to read that verse? Thank you. All right. So as we look at this verse, what what jumps out at you? What sticks out to you from this verse? Gentleness and respect. That's a, that's a big one, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there, especially in our social media age, right? That that pride themselves as being truth tellers, right? Like I just tell it like it is, right? Well, Peter says, yeah, we want to speak truth, but we want to do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah, that's really good. What else? Always being ready. Um, what would that entail? How, how do we always be ready? We have to be knowledgeable, right? If we're going to defend what we believe, we have to know what we believe, right? Prepare in advance, right? So that's one of the reasons why habits like we're talking about, about daily Bible reading, are important is, is you want to be, you know, storing that word in your heart, as it says in Psalms, before that opportunity, um, you know, presents itself. That's really good. It seems to me the participial phrase is explaining what it means. Okay, you're using big words, Ramsey. Participial phrase. What? Okay, what are always we... being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to be given an account for hope within you is, uh, but with gentleness and respect, is what it means to sanctify. Christ is Lord in your hearts. I think he's elaborating on what sanctifying Christ means. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, we were, uh, Jennifer and I were talking earlier about uh, grammar and how. Uh, he's how common because he said finally surpassing in your knowledge of grammar and my knowledge of like anyways, but he was saying all these big words and I was like, what are you talking about? So <laughs> Jennifer is much better at grammar than I am. But because I've studied some of the original languages and, and Greek, you learn some of the technical terms. Uh and so I was just saying, yeah, a lot of people that struggle in Greek is Actually, because they study struggle with English grammar because you don't have the the paradigm 
for that. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I love, you know, the sanctify your Christ as Lord in your hearts. You know, there's some churchy kind of words in there. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? Well, thankfully, Peter kind of helps us out with the, the next phrase, right? Stephen, you had your hand raised? Yeah. Here is saying, hopefully it doesn't happen. Maybe you know. Uh, and well, I think a lot of Christians are talking about this thing. They're talking about this thing. Yeah. People bring up this thing that they, they would have never thought of. Or, oh, I don't know. Many Christians have never thought of that before. Or has anyone ever considered that? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's good. A couple other thoughts on that that phrase. Uh, what does Peter say to be ready to give an account for? Hope, right? And so you think about these believers that he's writing to. You know, they're suffering. They're they're being persecuted. The one of the things that Peter's saying that should cause them to stand out from the world around them should be the hope that they have. And the same, hopefully, is true of believers today, right? We still suffer. We still experience pain. The world is still crazy, you know, wars and rumors of wars and, and all these sorts of things, right? That we should have a, a different way that we approach those things. We should have a different um, demeanor about us that should strike curiosity in people's hearts. We'll talk a little bit more about our strategy in a future week, but when we think about a person's faith journey, we... We like to say that the first step, you know, for a non-believer is just to be known, to be known by someone who knows and loves Jesus, you know, that they have a, a Christian coworker or neighbor that begins just to ex express genuine interest in them and getting to know them. And as they get to know them, they start to become curious because they start to realize uh, in a good way, you know, there's something different about that person. There, there's, I know my wife, just to brag on her, you know, one of the comments that she is gotten most often over the years in this regard is like, man, you're so full of joy, you know, and that gives an opportunity for Jennifer to get to share the, in her case, the reason for the joy uh, that is in her. Uh, and then the other one that I, I wanted to just double click on is the, the word defense there. The, the Greek word underneath that is apologia. It's the word that we get apologetics from. If you're not really sure what is apologetics, we're going to talk about that um, a little bit more. But if we were to summarize, if you walk away with nothing else from tonight, what I want us all to walk away with is what, what do we talk about or what do we mean when we talk about being a church that is thoughtful, that has a value of thoughtfulness, is that we want to be a church full of members who know what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense of the word. So for the remainder of our time, we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. We want to be people that know what we believe. The, the technical term for this is theology. Um, out of curiosity, raise your hand if you would consider yourself a theologian. All right, we got... We, we have two... Uh, you're stealing my punchline here. So, uh, so we had two hands raised out of about a dozen or so people in the, the room. So let's talk about that uh, for a moment. So to know who or what a theologian is, we need to know what... Theology is. So um, what is theology? So again, open it up for discussion for a moment. Um, if you had to try to describe or define what theology is, 
what would you say? What pastors go and learn in school. So what, what Stephen and I spent years of our time in Ramsey as well uh, in seminary studying. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right. A cohesive summary of beliefs. That's a very strong, like, that seems like a, a definition we would have heard in, in seminary. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, the study of religion. Absolutely. That, that's really good. These are all great answers. So when we look at that word theology, it's, it's made up of two root words in Greek. We have theos, which means God, and then we have logos, which means word or thought. It's the word where we get logic from. And so at its most basic level, theology is thoughts about God. Do you have thoughts about God? Does the Muslim have thoughts about God? Does the atheist have thoughts about God? Yes. So, as Jennifer so eloquently put <laughs> a moment ago, everybody is a theologian. That's not a question. It's not if you're a theologian. The question is, are you a good one? And by that, we just mean that we want to think rightly about God. We want our thoughts about God to be true thoughts. And so that's why after we go through this series of lessons on our values, we're going to go through a series of lessons on our doctrinal core convictions. And so we're going to do a deeper dive specifically into what we believe in the coming weeks. But right now, we're just trying to promote and inspire this value of knowing what we believe. Uh, yeah, knowing what we believe. Uh, one final uh, thought in terms about what theology is. A classical or a classic definition of theology comes from Anselm of Canterbury who was an 11th century bishop, and he defined theology as faith-seeking understanding. Sometimes we, we flip that, right? That we, we have to have understanding before we're willing to believe. Anselm you know, thought it was actually the opposite, um, that when we talk about doing, uh, certainly when we talk about doing Christian theology, we're, what we're saying is that saving faith in Jesus Christ is not the finish line, it's the starting line. And then from there, we go on a journey of going deeper and deeper into our understanding of who God is, what he's like, and how are, you know, what are his ways. So we want to know what we believe. And if we're going to invite people to discover the truth, goodness, and beauty of the Christian story, we need to know what we believe. But we need more than that. We also need to know why we believe what we believe. Um, as we talked about from First Peter, we always want to be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks us to give an account for the hope that is in us. Um, so the technical term for knowing what we believe is theology. The technical term for knowing, understanding, and articulating why we believe what we believe is apologetics. Remember that word from 1 Peter 3.15, apologia, apologetics. So when we uh, went around sh sharing why each of us is a Christian, whether or not we realized it, we were doing apologetics. So we want to know what we believe, and we want to know why we believe what we believe. We want to be believers who are always seeking greater levels of knowledge, understanding, and comfort articulating believing, or why we believe what we believe. And there's two reasons why we want to be able to do that. One is for our own edification, the own strengthening of our faith, that when we realize the wealth of reasons for believing why we believe what we believe, it bolsters our faith. So for me, early on in my faith, coming from a, a very skeptical place, even early on in my faith, I wrestled with a lot of doubt. And 
even periodically um, throughout my my faith journey, doubts have have cropped up. Um, hey, what's up, man? Um, and any time that would happen, it would just propel me to go on a journey of of investigation once again to of why why do we believe what we believe? And so I would listen to talks from guys like Ben Stewart or Dan Wallace about why we can trust the Bible that we have. Or I would read books like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel or The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And every time without fail that I would exit one of these seasons of going on a journey again into why we believe what we believe, my faith would always come out stronger than when it, what it was like going into it. So we need to know why we believe what we believe for our own edification. And we, uh, he's really interested in my notes. If you can read this, man, like you're doing awesome. You're well ahead of your, your age. So we need to know for our own edification, but we also want to know for the purpose of evangelism. Uh, one of the reasons why I used to not be a Christian, as I, I shared before, is I used to think that there wasn't any reason to believe. I thought Christians only believe what they believe because they were they were not critical thinkers like I was. Uh, and they did not genuinely seek answers to the hard questions, that they just had blind faith. In fact, I have um, family members who have rejected the Christian faith because they are nat natural questioners and skeptics. Um, and when they would ask questions, rather than being met with gentleness and respect and reason defenses for what they believe, they were said, you know, don't ask questions, just believe. And they just rejected the faith entirely for that. And so my prayer is that that would never be anyone's experience here at The Journey, that we don't have to be afraid of the tough questions, that if our story really is true, good, and beautiful, we don't have to be afraid. We can sit down with people and investigate answers to those questions alongside them. We want to have a posture like Justin Martyr in his dialogue with Trifo. He said, I excuse and forgive you, my friend, for you know not what you say, but have been persuaded by teachers who did not understand the scriptures. And you speak like a diviner, whatever comes into your mind. But if you are willing to listen to an account of him, how we have not been deceived, and shall not cease to confess him, although men's reproaches be heaped upon us, although the most terrible tyrant compel us to deny him, I shall prove to you as you stand here that we have not believed empty fables or words without any foundation, but words filled with the Spirit of God and big with power and flourishing with grace. And what I want us to notice about this, this quote from Justin here is his tone. It's not harsh. It's not one of ridicule. It's like Peter exhorted. It's one of gentleness and respect. And notice his desire and willingness to patiently persuade his interlocutor that we have not believed empty fables or words without foundation. And so for that to be our posture as well, um, we need to pursue increased understanding, not just of what we believe, but why we believe it. But to be clear, we don't want to just know what we believe or why we believe it so we can pass a theology quiz or so we can win an argument with a skeptic. We want and we need to know what we believe and why we believe because it helps us make sense of the world around us. Oftentimes people will balk at the, the idea of studying theology because they don't think it's practical. You know, they think it's just stuff 
for, for us nerds off in our ivory towers, right? Uh, that it doesn't have any relevance for the things that I'm dealing with day to day in my own life. However, nothing could be further from the truth. We, as we've talked about, as Karina mentioned earlier, we are bombarded with truth claims, whether explicit or implicit, all the time. And we need to be able to parse through what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful, and what to discard. Um, we're bombarded with news and experiences that, that compel us uh, to have this instinctual need to try to make sense of it, um, what, to, what to do with it. And to do that, we have to know what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense of the world around us. The tagline of one of the podcasts that Jennifer and I listen to almost daily is that it's a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview. And we find it helpful to think through the headlines from around the world from a distinctly Christian perspective um, that this is what we can affirm and this is what we need to reject and why. Um, this is how we can be a witness in this situation. Or another podcast, which some friends of mine are involved in, they recently started a series of episodes that they're calling White Pill Radio. So similar to the previous podcast, on this podcast, Christian leaders from around the, the city get together and discuss recent headlines and events, and they offer commentary from a Christian worldview. And what I really appreciate about this particular podcast, the reason why they call it White Pill Radio, is that they always offer something redemptive in response to whatever it is that they're talking about. So they have covered everything from the metaverse to pronouns to even the Barbie movie and discussed it from a Christian worldview. And so Christian theology and a Christian worldview help us make sense of the world around us and how to navigate it. And so I want to just talk through a, a few examples. Um, one is community. So a few weeks ago, we kicked off this mission team uh, season with a, a mission team kickoff party where everyone was here at the house, hanging out, enjoying pulled pork sandwiches, thanks to Stephen. And afterwards, uh, my mom texted and said how much she enjoyed it. And she mentioned how she had been watching this show on Netflix that's um, investigating people around the world that live the longest. And one of the things that they found was that people who have rich community, meaning deep, meaningful relationships, particularly within a religious community, live longer. Crazy, right? Well, the Christian worldview offers a reason why. The Christian story teaches that we were made for relationships. It's why so many of the commands in Scripture have to do with our relationships. It's why most of the letters in the New Testament were, were written to communities of believers, and why so many of the command, commandments found in those letters are communal commandments. It's y'all do this, y'all do that. It's why there are 59 one another commands in the New Testament. We were made for relationships. God said that it was not good that the first man was alone and that none of the other animals would do, that he needed a human companion. And that goes all the way back to one of the things that we talked about last week, the idea of the Imago Dei, that humanity was created to be image bearers of God. And God, as we'll talk more about in coming weeks, is inherently relational. The Christian story teaches that God is Trinity, that he is one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so since God has existed 
since eternity past in relationship, we as his image bearers are intrinsically relational beings. And living in accordance with that design has a multitude of positive effects. Apparently, that we live longer. Uh, speaking of the Trinity, uh, perhaps, that perhaps the Trinity is one of those abstract theological concepts, you know, that's one of those ivory, ivory tower concepts, right, that has no practical implications. Um, but is that true? Well, I love this helpful little book by Michael Reeves called The Lighting in the Trinity. In this book, he explains the doctrine of the Trinity, how we, we get it from the Bible, how that has been the consistent teaching of Scripture throughout the history of the church. And one of the things that I really love about this book is that he addresses how beautiful and practical the doctrine of the Trinity is. So I'll share um, one example. Uh, this is not a discussion question. This is for you just in, in your mind. So don't say anything loud, out loud. But if you had to come up with one word to describe your basic view of God, who he is, what would it be? And you can't use the word Trinity because that'd be cheating because we just use that word. So besides the word Trinity, if you had to think of one word to describe who God is, what would it be? My guess is for many of us, the first word that might come to mind would be creator. Who is God? He is the creator. And of course that is true. That's why uh, we have things, you know, the Apostles' Creed opens the, that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Or another ancient creed, the Nicene Creed, calls him the maker of heaven and earth, out of all things visible and invisible. But here's what Reeves challenges us to think about in his book. There was a time where there was no creation. There was a time before the beginning of time, before God created the heavens and the earth. What was God then? What was God? before he was creator. In other words, what was God doing before creation? And Reeves suggests that in order to answer this question, we look at the words of Jesus, the Son of God. And in John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. And so Reeves says, that God is not first and foremost creator or ruler, but father. Before he ever created, before he ever ruled the world, before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. The most foundational thing in God is not some abstract quality, but the fact that he is father. So think back to those creeds that I just referenced a moment ago. Before those creeds reference God as creator, they reference God as Father. The Nicene Creed opens, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty. So this question is for discussion. Um, what do you think are some of the practical implications for understanding our world and our lives if God is a kind, gracious, loving Father and not just some cold, distant creator? What do you all think? Absolutely. About us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. John, uh, you know, said God is love. 
right? That he's, he's, uh, he is transcendent, he's holy, other, he's to be worshipped and, and adored, but he's also personal, that we can have a relationship with him. That he, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that he cares, right? So we, we've already talked this evening about how one of the things, one of the ways that the Christian story makes sense of our life is that it gives us resources to get us through hard times. And one of those things is knowing that um, all things that God does sovereignly oversee as ruler, he rules as father. So he ordains everything in our lives um, as a loving father. I'll share one uh, final example, a personal one. Um, many of you know, and for anyone that doesn't know, uh, we lost um, our first daughter, Hannah, at over just over one day old um, because of a fatal neural tube defect. Um, and time precludes me at, at this time to, from going into all the details, but the point that I want to make tonight is that many times over the years, people have told Jennifer or me something to the effect of, you know, I don't know how you get through something like that. Um, how you could get through the loss of a child. You know, the most horrific thing that many of us could, could think of, right? Well, at base level, what got us through then and what continues to get us through now is our theology. That we know, we have a reason for why things like neural tube defects and death exist in our world. It's because of the fall and how God's world has been corrupted. But we know that even in this fallen world, everything, as we just talked about, happens ultimately under God's loving, fatherly care. We know that because of the cross, that God can take even the most horrific circumstances and work them for good and for His glory. We know that because of the resurrection, death is not the end of the story. And finally, we know that because of the necessity of community that we just talked about, we have had a multitude of family and friends surrounding us, including our brothers and sisters in Christ, that have been there along the way for us to support and encourage us. So my point is this. Theology is immensely practical. We must know what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense of the world. So what do we do? How can we grow in our knowledge of what we believe why we believe it, and how it makes sense of the world. Well, first and foremost, we have the Bible. Um, again, uh, let me commend the Bible reading plan that we introduced last week. If you read one chapter a day, five days a week, you can read through the Gospel of Luke, which chronicles the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You can read through the book of Acts, which tells the story of the early church. And you can read through the letter of Romans, one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul that expands upon the truth and beauty of the gospel and gives the implications of the gospel in the Christian life. Ramsey quoted a, a verse from Romans earlier this evening. And so as you read the Bible, um, you're going to find explicit theological uh, you know, statements. So think back to the scriptures we read and discussed earlier. We, we read such theological statements as the Lord is one. Or if you think back to last week, we read about how all Scripture is inspired by God. These are overt theological statements. Other times in, in Scripture, through narrative or poetry, we, we get to see the character of God in action and on display. And so last week, again, our, our primary encouragement was just read it. Remember that it's a story. 
follow the arc of the story. And I want you to keep doing that. But as you continue to develop this habit of Bible reading, continue to develop comfort with it, um, I want you to start asking some explicitly theological questions. You know, as you're reading Luke, as you're reading Acts, I want you to ask yourself questions like, what does this passage reveal about God and what he's like? What does this passage reveal about who Jesus is? What does this passage reveal about human nature and what humanity's need is? And as you read and learn and study the Bible, it will shape what you believe, why you believe it, and how it transforms your view of the world. So that's the first and foremost um, resource that we want to commend. The, the, the second one is community. So while personal Bible reading is critical, uh, like we talked about last week, it's not everything that we need to learn the Bible and we need to do theology in community. And so one of the most important things about what we are doing here on Sunday evenings, which Stephen is going to talk more about next week, is building relationships with one another. It's why we have intentionally built time into our evenings together for relationship building. Um, because as, as we are meeting together, and as we are doing life together, we'll, we'll have the opportunity to shape and inform one another's beliefs and views of the world. Um, and then you start to develop trusted relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ with whom you can go with questions. Hey, I was reading in Luke this morning and came across this first. Any idea what in the world this means? We want to we use the, the, the resource that we have of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So just last uh, week, Jennifer and I were wrestling with how to handle a certain situation in our, our lives. And so we reached out to several different Christian friends and mentors. I probably texted or emailed about half a dozen people at, explaining our situation, asking for their wisdom. And they helped us make sure that we were approaching that situation based on our Christian convictions. And ultimately, we were able to make a decision that we thought was in alignment with our Christian worldview. So we have the Bible, we have the community, um, but beyond just the brothers and sisters in Christ that we know personally, such as the people in this room, in this day and age, we have things like books and podcasts from which we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world and from throughout history. And so to that end, if, if you're feeling inspired, which I hope you are uh, because of tonight, to grow in your knowledge of what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense to the world, but you aren't sure where to start, we wanted to give um, just one starter resource in each of those areas. So for theology, if you want to grow in your knowledge of what we believe, we recommend starting with the Exploring Christian Theology book series. These are books written by a bunch of Dallas Theological Seminary professors that cover all the major areas of Christian doctrine. They explain what the main points of belief are in that area of theology, they explain how it fits into the Christian story. They explain how we got that belief from the Bible and how Christians have understood that doctrine throughout history. And they have several suggested resources for further study that you can just keep going down that rabbit hole. For apologetics, if you want to grow in your knowledge of why we believe what we believe, particularly in light of some of the common points of contention in our day, a book that we recommend is called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Um, in this book, she addresses many common questions that believers and skeptics alike are wrestling with today. Questions like, how can you say there is only one true faith? 
Hasn't science disproved Christianity? Isn't Christianity homophobic? How could a loving God allow so much suffering? And how could a loving God send people to hell? <clears throat> so that's a, a resource that we would recommend starting with. And then finally, for Christian worldview analysis, um, in other words, for a resource on, on how to think Christianly about the events in our world today, we recommend a podcast called A Briefing by Dr. Albert Moeller, who is the president of Southern Seminary. This is the one of the podcasts that I referenced earlier. Episodes are posted about five days a week, about 20 minutes long. And in each episode, Dr. Moeller takes some of the major news events from our world today and offers commentary from a Christian worldview. Um, it's been very helpful to Jennifer and me. And Jennifer has even begun occasionally listening to it with our kids because we want to train them to think through how to uh, interpret and respond events from our world from a Christian perspective. And so we would recommend one of these resources if you're just looking for a starting place. But that's all it is. These are just starting places. Uh, there's a wealth of resources out there in all of these different uh, dom domains for you to keep growing in your knowledge. And so one of my closing exhortations to us all this morning, or this evening, excuse me, is to be a lifelong learner. Um, I'm someone who likes to have all the answers. Uh, when I first began to read the Bible for myself, I would get so frustrated because I would always leave that time of reading my Bible with more questions than answers. But I came to understand and realize that questions are a good thing. Questions are what propel us to continue to learn and grow. Um, but at the end of the day, I still wanted to find answers to those questions and have it all figured out. And I remember my very first seminary class. Last week, I shared the Journey's doctrinal statement on the doctrine of Scripture. And one of the very first classes I took in seminary um, was on the doctrine of Scripture. So what I shared with you last week in one paragraph, we spent an entire semester studying. But here's the thing. I remember sitting there in that class as we're, we're talking about all these things about the doctrine of Scripture. And I remember thinking, gosh, we are spending all semester on this one topic. And I feel like we're still barely scratching the surface. And that's when I realized how and why people get PhDs. Because they figure out that one thing that they just want to drill all the way down the well into. But even then, that's just one thing, one super niche aspect of the Bible or theology that they get to become an expert on. Um, and that's when I realized, and this is my closing exhortation for us, we want to be lifelong learners. And as you do, enjoy the journey. God is infinite. That means we will never exhaust our knowledge of him. There will always be more to learn. But the more we learn, the greater that we realize he is. And the greater we realize he is, the, the more delight we have in him. And so let's embrace the journey. Let's be lifelong learners. And let's be a church that is constantly seeking to grow in our understanding of what we believe, why we believe it, and how it makes sense of the world around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather here this evening um, and to think about who we want to be as a church, not just what we're going to do, but who we're going to be. 
We ask that you would help us to live into this value, Lord, that we would be a people not that has it all figured out, not who has all the answers, Lord, but people who are on a lifelong journey of learning more about who you are, what you are like, what you have done, what it is that we as Christians believe and why we believe what we believe, how we can have confidence in what we believe and how that makes sense of the world around us. That as we experience events in our lives, as we see news events on, uh, online or on TV, as we hear people's stories, as we're getting to know them, Lord, that we can make sense of them and offer words of, of joy and hope and redemption. And we're asking um, for you to help us, Lord, and to help one another, as we talked about, Lord, one of the most important resources in this endeavor, Lord, is one another. So help us be a church that is inspiring to these things. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Church Houston podcast. For more resources and to connect with us, including to learn how you can be a part of the journey, visit thejourneyhouston.org.